<laughs> Some of your faces look horrified and others are like loving it. You're like masochists. It's terrible. You, you people are horrible. <laughs> Man, that was a video of me when I was little. Uh, no, it wasn't, but it probably could have been. The same thing happened to me. And hold on, I'll tell you about it later. But before, first, I have a different thing I want to tell you. So I was when I was a, a freshman in high school, there was this girl who was like really, really, really pretty. But I had no idea how to talk to girls. You guys already know this about me. So I was like, I don't know what to say to her. But I was friends with a senior dude who always had the prettiest girlfriend. So I was like, I can ask this guy. He must be like a wealth of wisdom to be able to help me figure out how to talk to this girl, how to get her to like me and actually go on a date. So I go up to him. I was like, bro, I need some help. And uh, I just have some questions. He starts, well, you know, what, 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 are you, what are you wondering? And I'm like, well, you have a pretty girlfriend. He's like, what? And I was like, oh, don't kill me. It's like, I'm not like trying to hit your girl. I just want, I noticed that. And I was like, I really, you know, I have a friend, right? <laughs> I have a friend who needs advice on how to ask a girl out. And I didn't want to tell him, right, because I was horrified. This, like, really cool dude's going to think I'm a loser. But I was because I didn't know how to ask this girl out. So what I did was I blamed it, and I was, I was like, I'm asking for a friend. Have you ever done that? You've like been embarrassed. So it's like, oh, it's not me asking, you know, like you're horrified to actually ask the question. So you blame it on some poor friend that is clueless, right? So that's what I did. And our series that we're looking at, we're starting a new series for this summer in the book of James called Asking for a Friend, because the book of James is written to Christians to be able to basically answer questions to us on how we should live the Christian life. But James talks about things in this book that are kind of questions that most Christians don't want to ask, right? So if we were to ask it, we'd be like, well, I'm just asking for a friend, James. So like, because we should, we feel like kind of, we should know this stuff. Like I'm a Christian. I go to church. I read the Bible. Some of you, like I come from a Christian family or I go to a Christian school or I've been in church for a while. And it's almost like we get these things we're afraid to talk about because we're almost expected to already know it. And so I don't want us to be that way. I don't want us to have to, like, wonder how we can walk in power with Jesus Christ and actually have a a Christian life that's, like, full of victory and this awesomeness of of Jesus in us and living through us. So we're going to let James just kind of answer the question as we just ask for a friend during the time we look through this book and see what questions he has to answer about living as a Christian. And as we do, we're starting in in James chapter 1, verse 1. You guys can open there if you have Bibles. Um, we're going to be looking at this first chapter that talks about just four verses, actually. Just the first four verses is all we're looking at. And James starts off with a doozy of these questions about like, hey, I'm just asking for a friend right now, James, right? And so this first one is tough. It's like immediately kind of like this punch in the face, like, oh, wow, that's a, this is where we're starting? Like, how hard is this conversation going to be by the time we get to the end of the book if it starts off this intense? That's what verses one through four contain, all right? And so how many of you guys like roller coasters? Any roller coaster fans? AJ Johnson, where are you? I better hear you get a little hoot hoot. You, AJ is a roller coaster addict, right? There's a lot of you in here. All right, I hate roller coasters. I go on them because I don't want to look like a sissy, but I'm scared the entire time. I'm like that little kid. That's me every time. I'm screaming, and screaming's the only thing that makes it feel better. Like, I feel like when I'm on a roller coaster, if I don't scream at the top of my lungs, I'm going to throw up. It's like one or the other. I have a choice, like either scream or throw up. So I choose to scream. Um, But I went on a roller coaster. You guys know the Kraken? You know where the Kraken is? That's kind of how I learned to ride roller coasters was on the Kraken. 
And I went with my older brother, my oldest brother. He took me, so I had to look cool with my big bro, you know, because I, like, worshipped this guy. I thought he was just the greatest guy ever. I want to be just like him. So he's like, we're going on the crack. And I was like, uh, okay. So he takes me up there, and just, like, the climb to the top of the stinking crack and to get on it was scaring me. Like, the steps, I'm holding the rail, like, ah. So I knew it was going to be a bad, bad day for me. We get on, and we're waiting in line. And my brother likes to be in the very front. It's like, oh, it's a holiday if he gets on the front of a roller coaster. He's like, woo-woo, party time. And I'm like about to die, miserable death right there. I'm just going to pass out because we end up at the very front, like literally the first cart. And now if you know anything about the Kraken, here's what it does, other than just kill you and rip your entire insides out and throw them onto the ground. It hangs. It goes over the side, right? And you're in a harness, and your little feet are just dangling down as you're looking down like 8 million feet, and you can barely see the ground at all. You feel like you're in space. They have to give you one of those oxygen things just so you can breathe that high. And you're like, you see your feet, and you're like, you're held in by a strap, and you're basically hanging. And if you're the first car, it goes over the side to this massive drop immediately. But it doesn't fall right away. Because you get all the weight from the rest of the roller coaster. So like the first three or four carts basically just hang and dangle. So you're in this harness and you're dangling down over infinity. And you're just like, if this thing lets go, I'm dead. I'm just going to splat on the ground and die, right? So I don't want to do this. I'm freaking out. And I get in this roller coaster with my brother. It was the most miserable experience of my entire life. I probably just, I mean, I screamed. I don't know what I said. Sorry, Jesus, if I said stuff I shouldn't. I don't know. I probably repented after, but it was a crazy roller coaster. A whole lot of fun. Yeah, you guys should try it out. Give it a try sometime. <laughs> but see, the reason why I'm bringing up roller coasters tonight is because James, in this first passage, is going to kind of talk to us about life. And I see this, this kind of parallel in life with roller coasters. You've probably heard, we've used that expression before. I, mean, I feel like I'm on a roller coaster right now. You've heard that. Meaning like you have all these ups and downs in life. Like you have these really high moments where everything feels cool and you're like, man, life is good. And then immediately something just blindsides you that you didn't see coming and it hits you and you're like, wow, where did that just come from? Why is my life so miserable right now? How could that possibly just happen? And you hit this low, and then there's a peak, and then a low. And that's just kind of life is this roller coaster ride of ups and downs. And if you think your life's not going to be that way, I'm sorry to tell you you're wrong. Life is that way. It's not that you're doing something wrong. It's not that someone, it's just that that's how life is. That's what it brings. We live in a broken world, marred by sin, and situations arise where you're going to feel like you're on a roller coaster. And if you feel like me, you're going to feel like you're hanging over the front about to die and splat on the ground sometimes. But it's in those times that James is going to talk to us about in the first four verses of James chapter 1. So check there with me. Let's read it together. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, introduces himself to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. That's who he's talking to. Greetings. <laughs> Count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So the first thing we need to look at is who is this guy that's talking? Like, who is James, and why is he qualified to talk to us about the steadfastness and the trials of life? Like, who is James? Well, 
Most likely, this was James, the brother of Jesus, right? This is a dude who grew up next to Jesus and got to see Jesus uh, as a child and grow up and, and, and grow into ministry. And later, James becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem, like one of the biggest churches. And so he starts off, though, not believing that Jesus was actually God. I mean, have you ever, like, what if you had to look at your brother or sister? Imagine his situation, you know? And be like, you're, you're the Lord. <laughs> you're the king of the universe. But you know them, and you saw them pick their nose, and you saw them eat, like, glue. I won't say boogers. Glue, right? Like, you saw them, and you're like, how could this person be the God of creation? And I don't, I'm not saying Jesus did those things, but, like, you grow up with someone, you get familiar with them, right? And they're like your brother or sister. You've seen them. And every moment, you got used to them, comfortable with them. And so... James couldn't really believe that his own brother, someone he's that close to, could be the son of God. And so for a long time, James like kind of pushed back. He even called his brother crazy, and they almost tried to have him committed. Like James was not on the Jesus train for so long. But then something changed in James's life. As he saw Jesus do miracles that blew his mind, he's like, how is my brother the dude I played Legos with in Matchbox cars or, or Camel, I don't know, whatever they did, right? Little blocks. Like, how did that guy just turn water into wine? How did that guy just raise a dead dude from a grave? How did he, like, how is that dude walking on the water? How is this guy doing that? He's my brother. And as he saw miracles and he saw Jesus' ministry and the heart that he had, the more he heard Jesus teach with incredible authority that, like, nobody else could teach the Bible with, he started to believe. So much so that we see even as Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead, it clicks in James to know that his brother literally beat death, rose again from the dead. And James became such an avid, that means really, really excited believer in Jesus, that his, his brother was God himself, that James ends up giving his own life for it. James is martyred, which means he was killed for his faith, for preaching Jesus. The Jews took him, and they stoned him to death. And he had the opportunity to deny Jesus, and he didn't. The dude who could have known the secrets, he could have been like, no, I've seen him sin, or I've seen these big faults that you guys don't know about because I've seen the behind the scenes. He's treated me this way or that way, but that wasn't the story. James hadn't seen that. James saw a dude who he believed with all of his heart really was the son of God. Jesus really was the king. Now, it's hard to call your brother or sister the king, right? Like, it's just, it's in you to be like, no, I'm the king and fight them. But he was like, no, Jesus is the king of the universe. I believe it with all my heart. You can kill me. So I'm, not, I'm not denying him. And that's exactly what happened to him. He gave his life. He didn't. Uh, take it back. He's like, no, I believe this to the point of dying over it. And so this guy who's writing us is writing us about, look what it says, to, uh, he is a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. A committed servant. Somebody who knows firsthand who Jesus is. Firsthand that he's worthy to be called the Lord God the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. He knew very well who Jesus was. He knew him intimately and personally. How hard would it be for us, you know, in that situation? 
How hard is it for you now? When you're confronted with this Jesus guy, and we talk about it all the time at church and firehouse, and how do you receive it? Are you cool with him, Lord, and be like, yeah, he's, he's God of all? Or are you like, mm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about this guy. I'm not sure if I can call him the king yet. I'm not sure if I can bow down before somebody like that. I just don't know. How do you respond when Jesus confronts you like that? When you get an opportunity to believe and to follow him, do you accept it and say, let's go, I'm following you, Jesus? Or are you still kind of questioning and you're wondering, and that's okay too. If you are, I'm glad you're here tonight because I'd love to help you walk through those questions. Your life group leaders would love to walk you through as you question that and get to know, is Jesus someone I can actually follow and get behind? So we're excited to be a part of that journey with you. And some of you guys are here and you're just like, man, I've been on the journey. I love Jesus. Let me talk to some of these kids because I can't wait to tell them about my Lord. Wherever you're at on that spectrum that we just described, I'm glad you're here. Tune in. Like, let's ask some questions for a friend as we go through this passage and hear what he wants to say tonight. Here's who he's talking to. It says, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. So James, obviously he's a Jew, and he's talking to the Jewish Christians that, uh, that he's writing to here. It says 12 tribes, meaning they're Jewish, and in the dispersion. Dispersion means they're all scattered all over the place. So they're outside of Jerusalem, their hometown, scattered about because of persecution. Now, Caitlin was up here. She was sharing about uh, this mission trip that she was on, and she couldn't even share with us really some of the details because of that word persecution that a lot of us aren't even really that familiar with. Some of us are. You experience it. Maybe not to that degree, but some of us are like, what's persecution? It's getting, like, getting, uh, wanting to share Christ with people and getting pushback from people around you to different degrees. Sometimes it's violent. Sometimes people lose their lives. Like we just saw, James lost his life. And that's still happening today. Sometimes it might just be ridicule. Like they're making fun of you. They don't want to be a friend. They, they say things about you or talk behind your back. But it might be in some cases that they literally come and drag you out of your house and throw you in jail. Or worse, they take your life, your family's life. And that might not be happening in Merritt Island or Cocoa or Rockledge, you know, but it's happening around the world today. This very day, people died because they believed in Jesus. They were murdered because they wouldn't deny Jesus. Today, it happened. It's happening. And so, you guys need to know about this persecution when he says the dispersion. He's talking about Christians who are going through some really, really tough stuff. These people are in danger just for believing or mentioning the name of Jesus. Like their lives are on the line. They're being beaten. They're being thrown into pits and they would take these big jagged stones and rocks and like hurl them down onto the pit. Like if you've ever imagined like what would the... The, the consequence of stoning look like. It wasn't these little pebbles or rocks that they'd pick up and like throw it. These like nice little river stones. These were big jagged rocks that they would drop down onto you from as you were down in a, this pit that they dug. <laughs> it was nasty. These people wanted to kill people who said that Jesus was God. And this is their life. And he's talking to them. And so it kind of makes sense that the first couple verses here have to do with that roller coaster we were talking about. 
trials, right? And, and goods and bads. Like there are good times and bad times. And these people were definitely experiencing both. But right now, specifically the bad times, the trials. And they probably know trials better than most of us in this room. So he says this, he says, greetings, like hello, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. This is the part I was telling you here that feels kind of like a punch in the face, because it's like, you want me to count it joy when really bad, horrible things happen to me? When I face trials of all kinds, like all of these different varieties of terrible and dangerous things, and you want me to count it what, what was the word? Joy? Not just joy. He says, all joy. Like, James, what are you talking about right now? Like, how is that even a possible thing? Why would you say that to people who are hurting? So either James is just this really insensitive jerk, which I don't think that's the case, or he knows something we don't know, which is exactly why we're going here and asking for a friend some advice on something that we probably don't want to talk about together. We don't like to talk about these hard times. We like to hide things in these trials and our pain. We like to put on faces that make us look happy and like we got it together. And we try to hide those trials from other people. And tonight I'm asking that we would be honest and just ask. Say, James, teach us about this. What do we do when we're in a moment like this? And his answer was, count it all joy. And so if you're like me, you're going... How do you do that? How is that even possible? You know, I remember that video I showed you wasn't me, but when I was a little kid, I was on a very similar ride, and that same type of harness, almost, I almost came completely out of my harness and, like, literally flew out and died. I was hanging on. I had slipped out completely and was hanging on just by my arm, and I was just flapping. And um, <laughs> it, it was terrible. I was with some older friends who had taken me to the fair down at West Palm Beach, and I was on this... Man, it was scary, and all I remember in the middle of it was just total horror, like just sheer, I was just scared to death, literally. And I feel like sometimes when I'm in what he's talking about here in my life, these trials of all kinds, I can feel a very similar thing. I'm not hanging off a roller coaster, but it almost feels just as scary. Here's what I'm talking about, the moments I'm talking about. When there's someone in your life that's sick, and you don't know if they're going to make it, and you love them, I would be far, far more scared than hanging off a roller coaster in that moment. Like, how's this going to play out? Is a doctor going to be able to help them? Are they going to get healed? If I pray, is God going to hear me and heal them? Like, what's going to happen? What will I do if they pass? Like, all these questions. And I feel, like, scared. In this valley moment, right, of, like, and maybe it's, maybe it's not that, but you could probably list all of the different things that would freak you out, that you would consider a trial, that, that would come your way, and you'd be like, how would I ever make it through that moment? Whether it's a relationship that falls apart, or a friend who stabs you in the back, or money and finance problems. How, am I, how is my family going to weather this financial like storm right now? How will we get through this? Or maybe it's persecution, like James is talking about in this passage. Maybe you love Jesus, and you just want to tell your friends about him, but your friends just aren't hearing you, and you're constantly bumping up against persecution from the people around you, your teachers and people at school, maybe. 
Whatever trial you're going through, whatever valley moments on the roller coaster that you're in, James is saying in those moments when it's the hardest to do, when it's the most scary, count it all joy. And I think James says this so that we'll ask the question. Like he wants us to ask the question we're asking, like how in the world do I do that? And he's about to tell us. He says in this next verse, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, there is something that Jesus is doing in your heart. (laughs) And as you go on this roller coaster ride, he's teaching you through every step of it, right? As you go up, he's teaching you how to celebrate him and how to enjoy the glory of the Lord and his blessings. And as you go down and you plummet like me hanging on that harness about to die on the Kraken, like it feels terrible, right, as you're going through it. But he's there too. He didn't leave you and he like stays up in the peak and is like, all right, good luck down there. You know, and you like just like plummet to your death. He goes with you. He's right next to you like Janice. He's kind of Janice in your life, right? Like, help me, Janice. And that's me as I'm living my life. I'm always like, God, like, help me, Janice. Like, I need help. I'm going down into this pit. And Jesus, you got to go with me. Help me, Jesus. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Some of you guys, I think, do just by looks in your faces like you understand that valley. It breaks my heart that you understand it because I know it hurts you. I know that tonight. But the good thing, there's good news in that. Jesus is with you in that seat right there, even as you plummet into that bad time. And we don't have to hide it. We don't have to put on this fake face or just pretend that it's not happening. We don't have to reach out for other things that might make us feel better as we're in the difficult time, just kind of to forget about it. Because Jesus is right there and he promises that if we just face it head on with him and we count it joy because he's going to teach us through it. He's not going to let it be wasted as you go through this hard time. You're not going to be like, man, why did that even happen? This stinks. I'm coming out the other side and like, what a waste of my life. You're going to come out going, wow, Jesus, you grew me. Like, I'm different. I'm a better person for having gone through that. Like, that was so worth it. It stunk. And it hurt, and it was scary. But being on this side of it, wow, look at all you did in my life, Jesus, because I was able to go through that, and because you went through it with me. And so the cool thing about being a Christian is that we don't have to be on the roller coaster alone. And Jesus is using every bit of those twists and turns and ups and downs to grow you and to make you look more like him. And that's the best part. Because I want to be like Jesus. And if that's what it takes to get there, is he decides what's best for me and I just keep trusting him, you know what's happening? My faith in him grows. Every time we go around that turn and I'm like, help me, Jesus, and he's there for me, I can look back the next time and go, wait a minute, last time he was there for me, last time he didn't let me go, he'll be there again this time. I'm confident of it. Every time that happens, we just get more and more trust that Jesus will be there for us. And he'll keep showing up. He will keep being there for you through every step. I know that because when I look at like Lazarus, right? The dude dies. You guys know the story of Lazarus? We've studied it before together in Firehouse. Jesus was like, he could have just gone. And if he had gone, he would have been there in time. And Lazarus never would have had to die. But he waits. 
He literally waits, and he waits until Lazarus dies and then shows up after he's dead. And people come up, and they're like, Jesus, why didn't you come earlier? You could have saved him. And he's like, I still can't. And that's the key to it. We get to stop limiting Jesus, even as we're plummeting down into a difficult time in our life. We have to stop saying, Jesus, you could have stopped it up here when we were at the peak, and we never had to plummet. Instead, say, hey, we can be at the very bottom, and it's still not too late for Jesus. The guy was dead. People had already given up hope, and there's Jesus going, hey, it's not over. Do you know who I am? If Jesus can raise dead people back to life, it's not too late for whatever situation you're in right now. As dark as you might think it is, as painful, maybe as shameful, you don't want people to know. It's not too late or too big for Jesus. And he's on that ride with you. You just holler out, help me, Jesus. <laughs> you just holler it out and say, Jesus, go with me. We see Elijah. We studied Elijah not too long ago and how he had done this incredible miracle that God did through him to be able to show this wicked queen Jezebel that God was the one true God. And he was like, for sure, he was confident. Now she'll believe and she'll stop trying to cut my head off. She'll see my God's real and didn't work. She still got, she just got more angry and she came at him even harder. And so Elijah got all frustrated, right? And he sulked under this tree like, God, how come it didn't work? See, Elijah was on a roller coaster. And we could be like Elijah too. We could sit there under that tree and sulk when things go wrong and go, there's no hope. And we could throw our hands up in the air and say, what will I do? Or we could call out to Jesus and say, just like, just like Lazarus, it's never too late for Jesus. It's never too big for Jesus. It's never too dark for Jesus. He is there with me and he's on the ride and he's on this roller coaster and he's not letting me go. You need to believe that tonight. If you're hurting, if you're in a dark spot, will you please hear me tonight? You are loved by the God of this universe and he's not letting you go. If you'll just place your trust and believe in him, He's going to fill your heart with hope, and he's going to walk you through that hard time. He makes that promise, and you're like, how do you know, Rob? I know because I've done it. I've experienced it. I've gone through hard times, and I've done the Elijah thing, and I've sulked, and I've suffered. And I've done the Lazarus thing, and I've said, Jesus, I know I can't go through this again like that. I need you this time. And I'll tell you what, Jesus showed up in my life. So you're wondering how I know? I can tell you firsthand. He's done it for me. I've experienced it. And I'm telling you, he will do it for you if you believe him. If you reach up and say, help me, Jesus. He says, this next piece here, he says, uh, and let steadfastness have its full effect. All right, we're getting kind of big words here, right? Like steadfastness, what is that? He wants us to stay steady. Like the roller coaster's doing this. You're on the ride. Like you're strapped in, you're not getting out. But as you ride this crazy roller coaster of life in the ups and downs, James is like, be steadfast. 
Like, how is that possible? The roller coaster is dragging me all over the place in my life. If you knew what I'm going through and what's happening with my family and my friends and at school, like, you would understand. You just don't get it, James. I can't stay steady when I'm on this life of a roller coaster. Can't do it. But as we realize that that roller coaster is growing us, like we talked about earlier, it's hope that keeps us steady. It could drag us wherever it wants to drag us, but it hasn't changed our heart. You might be in the worst of times, and your heart could still be full of joy and peace. I know believers who have gone through some horrible things, who in the middle of it, I'm looking at them, and they're just so joyful, and I'm like, how on earth are you full of joy right now? Like, Their only answer is Jesus. They know they're confident in where they're going when they die. They're confident in uh, this God that loves them. And so they're like, hey, this might be a miserable moment, but I'm full of joy because I have the greatest thing you could have. It's Jesus Christ. There's nothing better than that. Now, Now here's what gets tricky, guys, because I know I'm talking to a room full of teenagers. And you're still trying to figure out what's good in life, like what is it you want? And there's lots of stuff you probably want. Lots of stuff. And probably lots of stuff you want the most. And maybe Jesus isn't even in the top 20. Maybe he seems so unimportant to you right now. He's not even on your list. I think James would encourage you tonight, look into Jesus. He deserves to be first on that list. And you don't know that because you haven't met him yet. But when you meet him, when you actually meet Jesus, and you have this like in a moment of engagement with the God of creation, all of a sudden something clicks inside of you where you're just like, holy cow. I didn't know you were that good. I didn't know you were that amazing Jesus. I just thought you were some dude they talked about at church. When you actually meet him and he shows up in your life for you and you get this relationship with him, your mind is blown by who Jesus is. And all of a sudden he climbs to the top of your list. You're like, how do I get there, Rob? What do I do? Say hello. Say hello to Jesus tonight. You go home, sit by your bed, open your Bible and pray and say, Jesus, I want to get to know you. Why don't you introduce yourself? Start a journey where you're walking with Jesus and say, let's start a relationship. Show me how awesome you are, Jesus. I want to know. That's a challenge I think Jesus would love to hear from you. Because he wants to get to know you and he wants you to know him. But you got to take that first step. Then it says this, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So James is highlighting in these dark times, On this roller coaster, this process that we're in, it's for a purpose. Jesus wants you to end up looking like him. (laughs) He wants you to be perfect and complete and lack nothing in the way he designed you. Do you know he's got the blueprints? He's the one who drew the blueprints for your design, for who you are. He tweaked your personality and your mind and your body and everything. Jesus literally had everything to do with who you are right now. He designed you. You think you you happen by an accident? You have a creator, a designer that intimately knows everything about you and loves you, and he's still in the process of growing you. 
making you complete and perfect to the way he wants you to be. And you know what that means for Rob Jones? That means Rob Jones needs to realize that I can't do anything on my own. This whole thing is Jesus' plan. And I need to stand before Jesus and say, here, I'm, I'm yours, all of me. I'm dependent on you, Jesus. <laughs> the people I hang out with, the, the school that I go to, the job that I have, the, whatever plans you have, take them and put them at the feet of Jesus and say, it's all yours. And the times where everything seems like it's crashing and burning, that's yours too. The times where everything seems perfect and amazing and awesome, Jesus, that's yours too. I want to give you my whole life. And all of a sudden, that roller coaster stops doing this. Well, it does, but you start doing this. You get the steadfastness that James is talking about, even through the ups and downs of your life. Even in the darkest trials, you have hope in your heart because you know who's sitting next to you. And you want him more than anything else. And nobody, nobody can take Jesus away from you. Nobody. That is the most steady path you could ever be on. So tonight, like I said, I don't know where you're at, but I would encourage you to do this. Surrender. Will you take your life and lay it at Jesus' feet? Would you take your struggle, your heartache that you're sitting here with tonight, and would you go, Jesus, here it is. It's yours. I'm going to stop trying to fight it and fix it just want you to take it, and I'm going to trust you with everything that I am tonight. Will you surrender? It means give up. Will you just give up to Jesus and let him take control? Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me tonight? As the band is going to make their way up and lead us in some more songs, I just want to ask you to say this. As you're sitting there with your eyes closed, will you just ask Jesus? Show you the spots of your heart that you need to surrender. Ask him to give you the courage to do that. Maybe some of you are still like, man, I've never met him. So would you maybe right now say that prayer and say, hey, I want to know you. To introduce yourself to him and say, God, will you show me who you are? Rob said you're pretty great. Pretty great. Will you prove it to me? Will you let me see it too? I want to know how awesome you are. I want to know why you deserve to be number one on my list. Will you show that to me, God? Will you ask him that right now? And over this next song, as we sing together, will you just listen for his voice and see what he says to you?